Sorry, my mail program opened up in the middle of everything. I don't know what that's about. Um, a mail program I never use. Om Ajnana Timirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militangye Natasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Mukankaroti Vachalam Pangum Langhayate Girim Jatkrapatamahang Bande Shri Gurun Dinataranam Shri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitang Yenabhutale Svayam Rupakadamahyam Dadati Sopadantikam Ancha kalpa tarubya strikrapa sindhobya evacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavejo namo namaha. So uh, this month's series is um, glimpses into the um, Mangalacharan verses of Srimad Bhagavatam. So that, those are the first three verses um, we remember um, from the first chapter of Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita that um, uh, an, in, uh, an auspicious invocation of a text includes three parts. Um, one is the uh, Namaskar, uh, the Vastu Nirdesha, and the um, Ashirvad. So uh, the Namaskar is um, invoking the blessings, offering uh, obeisances to and invoking the blessings of the deity. And it's a, um, not an uncommon thing in, in world literature to, to see. Um, one of the conventions I remember from my university days as an English major uh, a million years ago, um, that in epic poetry around the world, one of the conventions of epic poetry, wherever you have it, is an invocation of the muse, um, the person, that personality that inspires um, the author to, to write a particular um, text, to write it, well, in this case, this particular epic poem. So we see it, one, one of the great epic poems of, of the English language is uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost, um, about the uh, uh, our fall from heaven, or our fall from grace, actually. It includes um, Satan's fall from heaven, Lucifer's fall from heaven. Um, but it's uh, about uh, humanity's fall from grace and redemption uh, by Jesus Christ. And um, the muse that's invoked uh, in Paradise Lost is God. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, Milton asks God to to inspire him to write. And the purpose, he also gives a purpose. The Vastu Nirdesha of Shloka tells the purpose generally, uh, kind of like the thesis statement um, of the text. Um, the thesis statement uh, tells not just the purpose, but the point that the text uh, wants to make. Um, and Milton does that as well. He says that the purpose of this, his particular uh, poem is to justify the ways of God to man. So, um, so the Vastu Nirdesha Shloka, uh, which we'll look at today, which is the second Shloka, is the um, uh, statement um, generally uh, of the purpose, of the point um, of the particular text. And then um, you have the Ashirvad, which is the blessing, which um, may tell the fruit, um, uh, the result, the auspicious results of hearing a particular um, text. And here in the Bhagavatam, we'll see, it's almost, uh, we'll see next week, it, it's almost more of an exhortation um, that we, um, it, it's uh, almost demanding that um, those who are qualified to hear Srimad Bhagavatam take full advantage of it and um, and enjoy the, the uh, auspicious results of hearing from the Bhagavatam um, uh, now and always. 
So the Vastu Nirdesha is the um, uh, statement of the point. And, but as we'll see, when we look at the Vastu Nirdesha of Srimad Bhagavatam, it does even more than that. So let's take a look at this first. Oh, now I have to get this stuff out of the way. So uh, this text, just like the first text, this, um, this text is written in um, this uh, wonderful, very um, active chanda or meter called Shardula uh, Vikriditam, uh, the prancing of the tiger or something like that. Um, so this is this is a long meter. If I remember correctly, Shardula Vikriditam is a 17th syllable meter, which means there are 17 meters to a pada, a, 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 a half line um, of the text. And we could read it, the chanda lends itself to the tune uh, with which we sing another Shardula Vikritam song familiar to us, uh, which is Srinivasacharya's prayers to the six Goswamis. However, I'm not gonna do that. Um, I, I have another way that I usually chant this verse. So the verse goes, Dharma projita kaitavotra paramo nirmat saranam satam dejim vastava matravastu shivadam tapatrayam mulanam Srimad Bhagavate Mahamunikate Kingba Parairishwara Sadyo Hridyavarudhyate Trakutabhisushu Shapistachanat So Srila Prabhupada's translation which is probably quite familiar to many of us. Completely rejecting all religious activities which are materially motivated, this Bhagavat Purana propounds the highest truth, which is understandable by those devotees who are fully pure in heart. The highest truth is reality distinguished from illusion for the welfare of all. Such truth uproots the threefold miseries. This beautiful Bhagavatam, compiled by the great sage Vyasadeva in his maturity, is sufficient in itself for God-realization. What is the need of any other scripture? As soon as one attentively and submissively hears the message of the Bhagavatam, this culture of knowledge of the Supreme Lord is established within his heart. So we see in this uh, second part of the verse, we see the purpose of the text. Um, the explicit purpose of the text of Srimad Bhagavat Purana is God realization, is the ultimate welfare of all beings, um, which mm, coincidentally, well, as part of that welfare, Part, as part of bestowing that welfare um, uproots the threefold miseries. So we can take a minute to remind ourselves of these threefold miseries since they're referred to um, explicitly in the verse, tapatraya unmulanam, the uprooting of these threefold miseries. So um, threefold, the threefold miseries that Sanatan Goswami asked uh, famously, who am I and why do I suffer these threefold miseries? Kayami, uh, you know, who am I? And then why am I suffering these um, uh, tapatraya, these three uh, kinds of suffering? So we have adhyatmika, uh, 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 adhidaivika, uh, and adhipautika. So the adhyatmika uh, tapa, the adhyatmika miseries are those caused by our own self, caused by our mind um, or our own body. Um, and uh, then the um, adhidaivika, uh, we think of those as being caused by the, they're called adhidaivika because we think of them as being caused by the devatas, by the gods. Um, these are um, things like natural disasters that are, are beyond our control. Um, it's too hot, it's too cold, uh, it's hurricane season, um, 
or there's a blizzard and um, all the trees have fallen, you know, they've, got, they've gotten so heavy with snow that they've fallen across the power lines and we're freezing in our homes. Um, these, these are these things that are beyond our control. And Adhipautikar, um, these, these are the sufferings that are caused by other living entities. Um, the guy who cuts us off in traffic, um, the um, old lady with her coin purse, um, paying for her shopping cart full of, of groceries uh, with coins from her little coin purse, which makes the, the line behind her take um, forever. Things like that. Uh, the guy who um, accosts us, you know, as we're crossing the street, uh, because there's something that um, that uh, about us that that person doesn't like. Uh, so the Bhagavatam, it, its purpose is not to uproot the threefold miseries, but hearing it naturally does. It's a natural consequence. So this is definitely for everyone's benefit, but um, it does even more than that. Um, the more qualified the, the audience is, the greater the benefits um, of hearing Srimad Bhagavatam. And that is that this text in itself, uh, this text alone is all we need to actually realize our relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, we'll find um, Abhideya again, um, uh, which is uh, knowledge of um, our relationship with God and uh, the relationship, actually the relationships among uh, the, the Lord and his various energies. Um, but more specifically, um, our relationship with, uh, with the, uh, the Godhead. Um, I'm sorry, that's a uh, Sambandhagyan. Sambandhagyan is, is understanding our relationship uh, with God. And then Abhideyagyan is how we activate or realize that relationship, um, the practice by which um, uh, we learn that relationship. Um, and then Prayogen again, uh, which is um, knowing the fruit, um, the, the, um, the goal, the ultimate goal um, um, of that practice, which is Krishna Prema, Prem Prayogena, right? The Panchama Purusharta. And we're gonna take a look at those Purusharthas in just a moment. So this is the Bhagavatam's purpose. The Bhagavatam's purpose is to cleanse uh, completely cleanse our hearts, systematically and uh, progressively cleanse our hearts so that we can um, realize our relationship with God. We can see God face to face. And we have so many instances throughout the Bhagavatam. We're just reading one here um, at our center here in Honolulu, Hawaii, where the, the four Kumaras uh, in the third canto um, have approached Vaikuntha. They've decided to visit Vaikuntha. Um, even though they're Atmaramas, they don't really need anything. But somehow or other, they, had, they got a desire to visit Vaikuntha. And then they had this confrontation with these two doorkeepers, Jaya and Vijaya, on the innermost gate onto Vaikuntha. And it became contentious because the gatekeepers kept them out. But because of this um, confrontation with the gatekeepers, Lord Narayan himself came on his own two feet with his entourage, including the goddess of fortune, his Swarupa Shakti, to completely blow the um, Kumara's minds by letting them see him and uh, Lakshmi Devi uh, face to face. Dhruvamara saw the Lord face to face. Um, at the end of the Bhagavatam, Uddhava spends considerable time hearing instruction um, from the Lord. And so we see um, you know, how the Bhagavatam, you know, just hearing the Bhagavatam helps us also, brings us to the point where uh, we may see the Lord, eventually see the Lord face to face and engage in his 
devotional service, which is the cure for all our ills. As we see at the end of the Rasa Panchajayi, the five um, chapters on the Rasa dance in the 10th canto, um, where um, King Parikit, uh, just so that, because it has a very, a quite uh, a varied uh, audience um, at the, on the bank of the river, it's not all pure devotees, all kinds of sages with all sorts of practices and all sorts of different goals um, um, have come because this is a huge, huge event. And, um, and so King Pariket recognizes the, the variety uh, among the audience. So in order that people, uh, that, that the, the, the uh, audience may not misunderstand the Rasa dance, he wants um, he, he asks a question that um, gives Shukadev Goswami the opportunity to clarify um, the power of, of hearing these pastimes of the Lord. So he asks him, well, how is it, how is it, how are we to understand that the emblem of Dharma, the bridge to the ultimate Dharma, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is acting dharmically, acting against Dharma um, by um, spending the evening with um, all these ladies, many of whom are married to others. And uh, Shukadev Goswami says, here's what you need to understand. Um, these pastimes of Vishnu, and he refers to Vikritam he Vishnu, he says, these pastimes of Vishnu, why Vishnu? Because Vishnu is all pervading. And in the Rasa dance, we see Krishna is all pervading. He's dancing individually with each and every one uh, of the millions of gopis who attend the Rasa dance. So he says these pastimes of Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, remember, just remember who we're talking about here, are so purifying that they rip out the hridrogam, the heart disease uh, that um, afflicts us all. And that is um, lust or selfishness. And so, that's addressed uh, right here in the second uh, verse, the Vashtu Nirdesha Shloka uh, of Srimad Bhagavatam. Dharma Prodchita Kaitavata. Um, so we hear um, so often um, from um, our Swami, uh, Swami Tripurari, Guru Maharaj, how the Bhagavatam, the last word of the Bhagavatam is. Sarva Dharman Parityajya Mamekam Shavanam Teja. Sarva Dharman Parityad, all conventional, all the kinds of Dharma that we've been talking about for the last 600 odd verses, hour, uh, you know, hour and change, however long the conversation took. Um, he says, Parityajya, completely reject them, kick them out, completely, Parityajya. Not just tyaja, not just reject them, but paritiaja, completely reject them and take shelter in me exclusively. Find your shelter in me without any other distraction. And then um, our acharyas point out that the Bhagavatam picks up at the next step. Dharma prochita kaitavatra paramo He says, now, for those who have already rejected all conventional ideas of, of dharma, uh, which are referred to in this verse as kaitava dharma, dharma projita kaitavatra. Uh, so, so completely, for those who have completely, already completely rejected uh, kaitava dharma, uh, the sarva dharma uh, that uh, Krishna refers to at the end of the Bhagavad Gita. Now we've got something to talk about. So he tells us, uh, the Bhagavatam itself tells us in this verse, who is the most suitable audience for the Bhagavatam? Those who have completely rejected Kaitava Dharma. And what do we mean by Kaitava Dharma? Well, uh, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami makes it extremely plain in the 22nd chapter of Madhulila. Um, this is the chapter where the 64 angas of sadhana bhakti are discussed, but actually much is discussed before 
uh, Lord Chaitanya in his conversation with Sanatana Goswami actually gets to the 64 others of Sadhana Bhakti. Um, he talks about um, Shraddha, um, but he also talks about you know, who is qualified for this. So he says, you know, he talks, he, he cite, when, when he discusses this particular verse, the second verse of the Bhagavatam, he tells us straight out, Kaitava Dharma means Dharma Artha uh, Kama Moksha Vancha. Dharma Artha Kama Moksha Vancha. It means anything done with a desire for um, gaining personal virtue so that we can um, uh, get ahead in the world. Um, uh, dharma, virtue, uh, artha, uh, material progress. And why do we want to progress materially so that we can enjoy more? And um, when we become frustrated with that, uh, we may want release. We may want um, cessation of suffering. We may want liberation. And so these are all counted as selfish dharma. These are the, um, uh, these are the uh, four purushartas. These are the four great values of human life. These are the things that everybody in the world is working for. Virtue, material progress, pleasure, and maybe um, uh, among some uh, liberation, some kind of salvation, something like that. Why, do we, why does the Bhagavatam call them kaitava dharma? Because they're about me. Because they're selfish. Because the focus there is my virtue, my progress, my pleasure, my release. So um, the Bhagavatam tells us right from the get-go, right out of the gate, this is a text for those who've already given that up. And because they've given that up, they are completely pure at heart. They are satam. And how do we know they're satam? Because they are nirmatsaranam. They don't have any selfish desires. They're completely free of envy because they're completely free of selfish desires. That's the best audience for the Bhagavatam. Although we will see Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur and his divine Grish, Srila Prabhupada will um, also uh, tell us that there's considerable benefit um, for everyone else. So Srila Prabhupada opens his purport by talking about these four purushartas. Um, he says, religion includes four primary subjects, namely pious activities, economic development, satisfaction of the senses, and finally, liberation from material bondage. Irreligious life is a barbarous condition. It's just animal life, he says. And the hallmark of material life is competition. Competition for um, enjoying some, in, in one way or another, um, some subtle way or some gross way. So Prabhupada writes in his purport, uh, this is a paragraph that is particularly striking. Um, and I, I cannot talk about this first without coming to one sentence in the um, uh, third paragraph of the of the uh, uh, um, uh, of this uh, text uh, of this uh, uh, to this verse. So he writes in the Vedas, the above mentioned four activities are prescribed in the regulative way, so that there will not be any undue competition for sense gratification. But Srimad Bhagavatam is transcendental to all these sense gratificatory activities. It is purely transcendental literature, which can be understood only by the pure devotees of the Lord who are transcendental to competitive sense gratification. In the material world, there is keen competition between animal and animal, man and man, community and community, nation and nation. But the devotees of the Lord rise above such competitions. They do not compete with the materialist because they are on the path back to Godhead where life is eternal and blissful. Such transcendentalists are non-envious and pure in heart. So here he's simply echoing um, the assertion of the verse. And so he's telling us, this, you know, this is who the Bhagavatam is for. These are the people 
who will be most able to appreciate the message of the Bhagavatam. Such transcendentalists are non-envious and pure in heart. In the material world, everyone is envious of everyone else, and therefore the, there is competition. But the transcendental devotees of the Lord are not only free from material envy, but are well-wishers to everyone, and they strive to establish a competition-less society with God at the center. That last sentence, um, the very, it changed my life the very first time I read it. I, I had already been kind of turned by the association of devotees, by chanting, by studying the Bhagavad Gita. But when I started probably at the end of 1969 to read Srimad Bhagavatam, and back then, um, all we had of the Bhagavatam was the first canto um, in, in uh, three volumes, as we know. Um, I read this part of this paragraph, and I got to the sentence where he says, says, everyone is envious of everyone else, and therefore there is competition. But the transcendental devotees of the Lord are not only free from material envy, but are will-wishers to everyone, and they strive to establish a competitionless society with God in the center. This, uh, what, there's just, uh, this completely blew my mind. I had um, I mean, I was already inclined to bhakti yoga. For strong, I was already engaged in bhakti yoga. But I had, I don't, I, I didn't feel that I had any commitment. I think I might um, have been associating thickly with devotees at the time. And I had great regard um, for Srila Prabhupada, who became my eternal beloved spiritual master, became my eternal spiritual master. It's a little strange sounding, but I realized. Um, that, that that was his position in my life. Um, but that didn't really start to happen until I read this sentence. My life changed even more when I read this sentence. Because one of the, th this was 1969 or maybe January of 1970. And when I read this sentence, I realized one thing very powerfully, that now I have found the revolution that we had all been looking for in the 60s that this was it. And this was the more I read Srimad Bhagavatam, the more powerfully this was confirmed. By the time I got to the end of the first canto of the Bhagavatam, it, where we, we, we read about uh, the um, introduction of the, you know, the beginning of the age of Kali and the nature of the Kali Yuga and the cure for Kali Yuga. By that time, I was, um, the, the hook had been set and there was no way I could uh, I could get away. Um, I was already um, haunted uh, by Russia. And and how do I know that I couldn't get away? I actually tried a couple of times that first year. Uh, I left the temple three times: once for a couple of days, once for a couple of weeks, and once I think it turned out to be for maybe a month and a half or two months. Um, but I couldn't stay away from Krishna consciousness. I'd never stopped. I never stopped chanting. Uh, uh, my japa, um, no matter what else I was doing, and I, I couldn't stay away from the association of devotees. And this sentence, uh, where Srila Prabhupada says, the transcendental devotees of the Lord are not only free from material envy, but are well-wishers to everyone, and they strive to establish a competition-less society with God at the center. I just realized this was it. This is the revolution that we're looking for, and I need to be part of this revolution. And I had some kind of like picture of myself in the basement of a temple. We had a basement in our temple here. In the basement of the temple, uh, wearing a dhoti. And uh, I think I had a picture of myself with a flannel shirt because revolutionaries wore flannel shirts or maybe blue chambray shirts with the sleeves rolled up, long sleeves with the sleeves rolled up maybe working at a printing press or a mimeograph machine or something like getting out the message of the Bhagavatam somehow or other, just working to effect uh, this revolution, to bring about this revolution. So this is um, um, one of my uh, very favorite um, verses 
uh, of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So Srila Prabhupada and, and uh, especially makes it really clear that um, the Bhagavatam goes beyond even the idea of impersonal liberation, completely transcends even that. And, and it's for, it's, it's especially for those who are completely pure in heart. But it also um, lends itself well to those who are becoming pure in heart. It, it uh, hastens that purification. And so this becomes the, the proper medicine um, for the conditioned soul to take to address that hridroga, that heart disease, the selfishness that creates conflict um, uh, between each of us, among all of us. Um, one time when uh, Srila Prabhupada was here in, um, in Honolulu, this was in May of 1972, when he came to install our deity, Sri Sri Panchatattva. Um, we arranged a program for him at um, an auditorium, large auditorium at the University of Hawaii, Kennedy, the Kennedy Theater um, at uh, the University of Hawaii. And he was talking about um, a Krishna conscious society um, as a society that would be free from conflict. And he used the image of stones and a pond. So if we have a pond with a very nice calm surface, we drop a stone in that pond, uh, ripples will generate, um, uh, radiate from that uh, point where the stone was dropped in, 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 uh, in the pond. So there'll be ripples that radiate from that point. And if we drop another stone, ripples will radiate from that point. But when the ripples meet each other, they cause a kind of chaotic thing. It's, it's not a very harmonious um, situation. And the more stones we drop, the more chaotic the surface of that pond becomes. However, if we pick one point, and we drop, we, we may drop as many stones as we like in that, on that one point on the, you know, on the surface of that pond. And what we will get is a very beautiful, harmonious pattern of concentric circles radiating out from the point where those stones are being dropped. Very peaceful. Um, I mean, there's there used to be an app, you know, for smartphones, I guess, um, you know, where you could, it was like a little Japanese pond with smooth round stones in the bottom. And if you touch the screen of your phone, um, you know, you could make ripples on the surface of the, this virtual pond. So, um, so Srila Prabhupada used this image and, and I got an idea, which I never followed through on, actually for an, a, a Bhagavad Gita article using this image to show what a a kind of an Ishavasya society, a Krishna-centric, God-centric society um, could be like. Maybe something that I have to write uh, before this old rig uh, is, is thrown uh, uh, on the junk heap. But um, so this is a very, uh, this is, this is uh, unique. And how to take this medicine? Uh, we're going to find out a little bit more. Well, we're going to find out considerably more about that next week. But Srila Prabhupada writes in his purport, the proper method for receiving this transcendental message is to hear it submissively. Um, a challenging attitude cannot help us realize this transcendental message. One particular word is used herein for proper guidance. The word is sushushu, sushushu. One must be anxious to hear this transcendental message. That sincerity to hear is the first qualification. So if our hearts are even just pure enough that we have some desire to open-mindedly, open-heartedly, even more to the point, um, hear this message of Srimad Bhagavatam, then it will have a great benefit, um, even from uh, the very uh, beginning. And then in his um, commentary on this verse, which is quite wonderful, I recommend it at all. And, and I once again need to point out that the best I can hope to do in, in this little series, this, this month's February series on, uh, on the auspicious invocation, the Mangalacharana of the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, is 
to sharpen um, the audience's taste for hearing Srimad Bali, hearing to, for studying, hearing and studying these three verses and Srila Prabhupada's purport and um, the commentaries, um, especially Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentaries um, on these verses. Um, this is just, I'm just bringing out a trailer here. Um, there's so, these, these verses, these three verses are so rich um, that we could speak on them um, at great length. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur points out that through the hearing process, the submissive hearing, um, the uh, Bhagavatam, which is most auspicious, um, the Lord, the shelter of all Sri Krishna, is immediately brought under control and captured in the heart. So um, here we see um, at the end of the verse, as soon as one attentively and submissively hears the message of Bhagavatam, by this culture of knowledge, the Supreme Lord is established within the heart. But Vishwanath Chakravarti makes, it, makes the, the image even more stark, that the Lord becomes captured in the devotee's heart. So why would he say that? He says, this indicates that prema will arise in the devotees since the Lord is brought under control only by prema. The, hearing the Bhagavatam is enough to establish in our hearts that Krishna prema, which will capture the Lord in our hearts. And then he cites a verse from the 11th canto. Pranaya rasanaya dhatangri padmaha. The Lord's lotus feet are tied by ropes to the devotee. This is such a wonderful verse. This is, um, oh, now I can't remember. I haven't memorized the, the chart that um, that uh, Sakyarati and Shamananda made for me yet. I have to print one out and just like put it everywhere in my hut so that wherever I go, I'm going to see it until it's etched into my memory. Um, this is such a powerful process that Krishna becomes captured and bound in the devotees' hearts by ropes of love, as the sage describes it to King Nidhi. I think it might be hubby or cubby, but I'm, I would have to look again. Um, so this is such a powerful um, spiritual process. Um, and this verse further distinguishes the Bhagavad Purana from every other text. Because all the other texts that we see, all the other spiritual texts, which as we saw um, last week, Narada Muni refers to as, by comparison to the Bhagavatam, Jugupsitam or detestable. Um, because they don't um, focus exclusively on devotional service to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Only in that sense are they um, detestable because they miss that point. So uh, the, hearing the Bhagavatam is such a powerful um, uh, process of bhakti yoga that when Srila Rupa Goswami um, discusses these 64 angas in the, uh, of sadhana bhakti in, in, in the second chapter of uh, uh, Bhakti Rasamri to Sindhu, he actually repeats five of them at the end, five that had already been discussed and says that these um, five items, so um, I, I don't remember how they're given in, in the um, Bhakti Rasamri to Sindhu. I do remember how they're given um, in this section uh, of chapter 22 of uh, Madhulila of Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, Sadhu Sangha Namakirtan Bhagavat Shravan Maturava Srimurtira Shadhaya Sevana. So Sadhu Sangha associating, associating with devotees and Rupa Goswami, I like to remind our, uh, uh, my, myself and my audiences of this as often as I can. When he discusses Sadhu Sangha at the end of that, uh, toward the end of that section of the second chapter, he says there are three qualifications for Sadhu Sangha, three qualities in the sadhus with whom we want to associate. Um, and one is uh, Svajatiyasya. They're, of our, they're part of our group. 
Uh, jata has to do with kind or birth, class. Um, so in other words, they share our spiritual goals, at least broadly. Um, worship uh, service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna. Sajjitiya um, uh, uh, oh, sometimes devotees uh, like to characterize Sajjitiya as, as being like-minded. Um, I like to, I prefer to say like-hearted because I think like-hearted is even more to the point. Um, our hearts are all, um, they all have the same aim. Snigde, uh, affectionately disposed toward us. If they're affectionately inclined toward us, that makes them good association. And Svatovare. Uh, Svata has to do with ourself and Vada. Vada means superior, better. So they're more advanced than we are. So we want to associate with devotees who share our spiritual aspirations, who are affectionately disposed toward us, and who are more advanced than we are because they will pull us along. Um, so then um, Rupa Goswami says, these last five items have inconceivable and astonishing, oh, I better go through the whole list again. So Sadhu Sangha, Nama Kirtan, chanting the holy names, um, in, either in Kirtan or meditatively in Japa, although we also have some uh, meditative Kirtans. There's one devotee, um, with whom I share a, a very strong affinity for one particular kirtan by one of my god brothers. And because it um, kind of, uh, it, it's entrancing. It's actually entrancing. It, it's at a certain point, it can, can you know, we, we get, it's real easy to get immersed, just completely lost in this kirtan. Uh, so, Nam Kirtan, Bhagavat Shravan, hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, hearing about Bhagavan. Um, but especially hearing Srimad Bhagavatam. Mathura Vas, um, spending time in a holy place like Mathura Vrindavan, um, Jagannath Puri Sri Chetra, and, uh, and Mayapur. But also in places that have been um, turned into um, like replicas of the spiritual world. So we have places like Audarya Madhuvan that where the Lord is the focus of all the activities, and you feel this, this atmosphere. Uh, my friend uh, Turiyadas, uh, uh, pretty much my Vartma Pradarshaka guru, the devotee who actually showed me Bhagavad Gita, he actually, the first devotee who was bold enough to see me chanting on the other side of the street, uh, come over to the other side of the street and invite me to the feast at the park uh, the next day. Um, and to show me Bhagavad Gita and to kind of introduce me, to draw me into the practice of bhakti yoga. Uh, he used to have a, an ashram on Maui, the island of Maui, called Sri Vrindavan Gardens. And he had a, he had a Radha Kund, he had Shamakund, he had Govinda Kund. He had, he had created this little Vrindavan on Maui, and you could feel that. And we, we feel that same power when, when we all visit Madhuban. And the more sadhus, who are visiting Madhuban, the more powerfully um, you know, we feel that um, when we're there. And, um, and then Shri Mortira Shodhaya Sevana, uh, worshiping the deity with love, with, with Shodha, with faith, with our hearts. Um, so um, these are particularly powerful. And so um, he says, uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti says, the Lord becoming captured by the mind, being captured, becoming captured in the heart um, can, cannot leave. And then he says, and if the two words sadhya and kritibi are taken together, then it means that Krishna is brought under control immediately for those who are accomplished or qualified. Whereas it happens after a slight delay for those who are not so qualified. But those, uh, both types of persons, the, the accomplished and the unaccomplished, are qualified for hearing Bhagavatam. And then he cites the next verse, which we'll talk about next week, um, how we should um, how we should hear Srimad Bhagavatam. And um, a little later he says, um, in this work, what is the recommended action that we need to undertake? What does this work tell us to do? And 
this recalls for me a conversation I had um, when I was actually a, a little boy. Um, when I was uh, young, I lived in a, a little town on the central coast of California that um, uh, my great-great-grandfather had been one of the founders of this town. He was actually the um, engineer who laid out the streets. He, was this, he surveyed uh, the valley and laid out the streets for this town of Lompoc. So we were from a very, uh, a rather prominent family in, a, in this very small town. Back then, I think we had maybe 6,000 people living in Lompoc. It's much bigger now as are most towns. But um, so we went to church every week. Now, my father was an agnostic. Uh, my father probably became an agnostic when he was 18, um, when he was in the Navy, stationed here at Pearl Harbor as a photographer documenting the recovery efforts after the attack um, just, a, a, just a couple of months before. And um, that pretty much, uh, he was an 18 year old boy uh, who had, uh, 18 year old young man who had grown up um, uh, uh, on a farm. In, uh, it's an ag it was mainly an agricultural area uh, when my, my dad was growing up. My grandfather grew vegetables, raised sheep, but he also owned a dairy. My, grand, my father spent most of his um, boyhood working in that dairy somehow or other, getting up early in the morning to wash bottles and help milk cows and all those sorts of things. So anyway, um, when he saw, uh, when he was taking photos and film movies of um, them hauling, of taking the bodies of other 18, 19, 20 year old farm boys out of the wrecks of these uh, warships, uh, that kind of did it for him and God. But because we were from a prominent family, we went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school. And, um, and our minister would come over to our home um, fairly regularly. Uh, so when I was little, uh, the minister's name was Mr. McGee. And I remember one, one evening after dinner, we were sitting in the living room. And I was sitting on the couch with uh, Reverend McGee. And I had two questions for him. Now, I was six or seven years old. I cannot tell you where these questions came from, um, except there seemed to be an indication that I had, I've always had an interest in spiritual life. It's always been a big uh, driver for me. Spiritual life and sense gratification, <laughs> two things that just go great together. Um, so, um, which explains why I was probably a little mad as a teenager, as, as so many of us were. But, um, I had two questions for Reverend McGee. The first was, what is God like? And the second was, what are we supposed to do? Why are we here? Um, he didn't have answers for either of those questions. I never met anyone who had answers to those questions until I began reading uh, Srimad Bhagavatam. And this verse of the Bhagavatam tells us why you're not going to find that anywhere else. Oh. Now, I have a counterpoint to that story. Oh, it's already 7.20. Um, I have a counterpoint to that story, lest people think I might have been too mm, spiritually precocious as a six or seven-year-old boy. Another time when Reverend McGee came over to our house, although we generally, um, I think we regularly said a prayer um, uh, over our meal in the evening, um, we usually just referred to it as the prayer. And I was also often asked to say the prayer um, over dinner. But it was always asked of me, Billy, would you like to say the prayer? And, um, but this night, I think my parents wanted to show off, and show me off maybe, I don't know. And um, so they asked, Billy, would you like to say grace? Now, I had never heard it referred to before like that, saying grace invoking God's grace on, on our partaking of this particular meal. Billy, would you like to say grace? And everybody bowed their heads. And I, as I remembered, I was a little confused. I think I had a sense that we were supposed to say the prayer, um, but I also just really, really wasn't sure. And there's also a little bit of uh, goofball in my character and was there, was there even then. So everyone had their heads bowed very solemnly. And I very solemnly said the word 
grace. And Reverend McGee started laughing so hard that he almost fell out of his chair. So lest you think that I was too spiritually, spiritually precocious, that I was some sort of, I don't know, avatar or something like that. Um, I also caused a bit of an uproar uh, just saying grace um, over the meal once. So um, what action should be undertaken? Well, it vehemently rejects projita, prahujita, that path which cheats, which deceives a person, which distracts us from our real goal. Uh, so in other words, sakama karma is, is rejected. He says, but then he says, the prefix pra completely indicates that the path promising liberation is also rejected. So everything else is rejected. Here we see the distinction again between the Bhagavatam and everything else, every other scripture even, even every other Vedic scripture, including all the Puranas. Um, we see that distinction drawn with very, very, a very bright line. And that is, it gives paramadharma, paradharma, parodharma. Um, that is a pure devotional service, causeless, uh, unmotivated, and, um, and unceasing uh, devotional service as the real activity uh, of human life. So then this leads us to a verse in the next chapter of the Bhagavatam, Savai Pung Sang Paro Dharma, Yato Yayatma Supersedity. That the, the supreme occupation for all humanity, um, uh, which will actually give us the, uh, the goal of life is devotional service to Krishna. And uh, devotional service, because it's a haituki, it doesn't have any cause other than itself. The Bhagavatam itself tells us later in the 11th canto, I believe, bhaktya sanjataya bhaktya. Bhaktya is generated from bhakti. And so that means, first of all, we get bhakti from the hearts of those bhaktas who, sh who uh, share their bhakti with others. The Madhimya bhaktas, as uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur um, explains at the very beginning of, the, uh, of his Madhurya Kadambani, which traces um, how um, progressive devotional service looks and how it works um, through, through the nine different stages that Rupa Goswami suggests in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So, um, so, 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 um, uh, bhaktiya sanjataya bhaktiya. We get bhakti from the bhaktas, and we get so we get sadhana bhakti from the bhaktas, from <clears throat> from those devotees who uh, are willing to share their bhakti with us, especially the guru, the shiksha gurus, uh, and the diksha guru, um, and. That sadhana bhakti yields bhava bhakti, which gives prema bhakti. So, um, in the fifth chapter, uh, we see uh, Narada Muni uh, instructing Vyasadeva that, um, again, to draw the distinction between the, the, the Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam and everything else, between bhakti yoga and every other thing, including every other kind of yoga, is that. Whereas you have to engage in the other yogas practically perfectly in every way um, to, uh, to achieve the, the, re the desired results. And then the results are temporary. But bhakti yoga is not like that. Bhakti yoga is completely different. There is never any loss, as Krishna says in the Gita. And as Narada Muni says, that even if we completely blow it, even if we engage, even if we fall away, from our, our spiritual practice um, because either of poor determination as Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur characterizes it or bad association as Srila Prabhupada characterizes it. Nothing is ever lost because our heart becomes rasagraha or haunted by rasa. And this is another article I'm, that I have to write. I've begun this article, but I haven't gotten very far on it yet. Um, that Vishwanath Chakravarti points out that this haunting by Rasa begins from the very first day of worshiping the Lord. And he makes a, 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 a really nice argument for that. 
which Jiva Goswami confirms even a little bit more elaborately in um, his Bhakti Sandarbha. So this is hearing Srimad Bhagavatam is so powerful that it brings us directly to the lotus feet of Lord. We begin the first two cantos at the two beautiful lotus feet of the Lord. And then we're gradually drawn up to the Lord's smiling face and left with his intelligence at the end of the 11th and 12th cantos of the Bhagavatam. There is nothing like Srimad Bhagavatam anywhere. Uh, no literature like it, nothing in the world that's at all uh, like Srimad Bhagavatam. Hearing Bhagavatam has such power that anyone who hears it all attentively will eventually be, uh, will find themselves immersed in pure love for Krishna. Okay, so I'll stop here. There's so much to say about this verse and the hard part, the exciting and terrifying part, um, exciting and at once terrifying part of, uh, of trying to discuss this verse is um, just trying to discern what can I say in 45 or 50 minutes um, about this particular verse of the Bhagavatam. So uh, I made a little attempt and I'll, um, I'll turn off the sharing and uh, open the forum up for any discussion, um, comments, questions, or anything about uh, this wonderful verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. Hi Krishna. <clears throat> Hi Krishna oh. Maharaj. Uh, Krishna Kumari, I cannot yeah. hear you. Oh, okay. Hmm. You okay. have to go on the English channel, Krishna Kumari. Oh, okay. Let's see. English channel. Chat. English. Okay, hi Krishna. Nope, not yet. No? Oh, shoot. Okay. Hi, Krishna, no? Oh. Sorry, I don't know. Maraj, if you uh, unmute the original audio, you might be able to hear. Oh, okay, gotcha. Thank yeah. you. Okay, try again. Okay, hi, Krishna. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Now, can Sorry. anyone else hear the question, or do I? Will I need to, re or the comment or question? Will I, or will I need to repeat it? Um, Sakura, I'm not sure if Anangaman. Yeah, she said thumbs up, so everyone can hear her. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay. Gotcha. I hope I hope it's worth hearing after all of that. Um, anyway, I just wanted to thank you for a beautiful class, and um, I really liked your story when you were a little boy of um, saying grace very literally, <laughs> and that that was really nice. Um, but what struck me um, at the beginning of um, your classes when um, I, I've been a, was an educator for 30 years. And mm. whenever I introduced uh, material to my students, I would go through this very same process of like setting a purpose for our reading, which is exactly mm. what the Mangalacharya does um, before we, we begin the work. And so it just really struck me how, um, you know, we're activating our prior knowledge, you know, what do we know about like the threefold miseries, even what do we know about Vyasadeva, who is he? Um, so it's this process of, you know, how to read, how to read for comprehension, um, getting the proper mindset and being open to engaging in the reading. Um, and it just, that just really struck me um, how, it's expert teaching when you go through these processes and how every time, and I, I haven't done this before, but doing Mangalacharya prayers before reading anything, any scriptures really um, sets that, gets us ready to be open and hearing what, what Krishna is trying to say to us, what Srila Prabhupada is trying to say to us. And um, I, I just was made me think about Krishna as the ultimate teacher, you know, the highest, the expert, um, distinguished teacher. So uh, that just really made an impression on me, and I appreciated that. Yeah, and I was also uh, I was also an educator for 
30-some years. I taught mm -hmm. in Gurukulas, and then later I taught um, college English um, for maybe 25 years or so. And um, one, of the th one of the things that, especially when we're approaching a non-fiction uh, non prose text, is you, know, you, you want to get a sense of um, who the author is, what the point is the author wants to make and who the author's audience. The author certainly needs to understand who his or her audience is as well. And um, yeah, um, so yeah. And, and I guess, uh, well, the Bhagavatam is a good example. It made it real easy for me to, um, um, to do that, but it's probably, um, uh, probably a habit that it's, you know, sometimes we would say, you know, uh, when you, especially a nonfiction, uh, a nonfiction uh, prose text, uh, look at the table of contents. Uh, read the read the first beginning and end of each of the chapters or something. Maybe look at the index so that you have a kind of a framework to hang what you, you know what you're going to be reading. Hang the details as you read the the, read the book on. Creates expectations. Yeah. Um, that 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 should become satisfied as as we as we go through the text. Um, so yeah. Well, thank it, you. Yeah, it even tells us how to read it, you know, with um, attention, you know, with yeah, focus. And so I, I just think we can't ignore um, all of these um, steps that are put in place for us and, you know, have this be a part of what we do every time when we're reading scripture and to really get everything out of it that we can get out of it. And um, I'm taking ourselves through that process. So anyway, thank you so much. Again, I appreciate yeah, your thank time. You. I, and I, and I like, I, I, I particularly appreciate your um, thing that even when we sit down to read, it's good to say the Mangalatran because it helps us focus, helps us focus our minds, helps us focus our hearts on the Bhagavatam. And I'm working with a small group of devotees here at the, uh, at the Honolulu Center. Um, uninitiated devotees actually, new devotees, um, preparing them to give Bhagavad Gita classes in the evening mm -hmm. because they're young. I'm old and they're young. And I, I, I would like to, uh, I, I, I'm interested in the future um, of this project and I see them as the future. These are smart, sincere, uh, young devotees. And um, we've been having what we call practice, practice classes. We haven't gotten to the stage yet where they're comfortable enough to give what they would consider a practice Gita class. So mm -hmm. we're just kind of like getting, you know, letting them find a voice, but they have found that they, before they start, before we even start our little project, uh, which we do three times a week, um, that they like to read those, um, uh, the Mangalacharya that Srila Prabhupada has at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita as it is um, before they even begin because it sets the right tone, sets the right yeah. mood. It's really yeah. nice. Okay. Sharda had a question. Um, does the sincere absorption of the Bhagavatam ultimately allow us to overcome repeated birth and death? Yes, uh, this is uh, the threefold miseries and certainly include repeated birth and death. Um, um, sounds like an adhyatmika klesha, um, a, a self-generated uh, problem, whether you see the body as the self, the, uh, the body, the mind, or the uh, intelligence, or whatever, as the self. And, um, and it certainly does that. It completely, up, as, as this verse says, completely uproots those threefold miseries. So it, um, the hearing Bhagavatam attentively and submissively, hearing as, as uh, Sharada characterizes it here, sincerely immersing ourselves with some sincerity in hearing Srimad Bhagavatam will certainly bring about um, the effect um, of uh, overcoming uh, repeated birth and death. I hope that helps. Is there anything else? Okay, so um, I, I'll take this opportunity to excuse myself then. Um, since I hear the kirtan over at the temple uh, calling me and I have to go give another Srimad Bhagavatam class. I get to go give another Srimad Bhagavatam class. 
Um, so talk about in total immersion. This is not the sprinkling baptism. This is total immersion baptism that I get um, from these sessions. And I want to thank you all so much um, for your company. Oh, now I see Nam Rasan, uh, my old friend, my dear friend. Um, and um, I want to I want to thank you, thank especially Padmanabha Maharaj for engaging me like this and. Um, Sakyarati and Shamananda for facilitating it for this old um, technology befuddled character for grandpa and um, and all of you for um, uh, giving me someone to actually talk to so I'm not just talking to my screen and we'll see you uh, again next week for the conclusion of this series um, where um, uh, where are your drinking hats but are there those hats with the beer cans on them or something like that and the hose, you know, because um, um, next week um, we will hear the Bhagavatam implore us to go ahead and just get plastered. Uh, but on something much sweeter with no real, with no hangover whatsoever. Thank you again so much. Hare Krishna. We'll see you next, next Friday. Sripad Bhakti Abhayasra Maharaj Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakti Vindaki Jai. All glories to the assembled devotees.